So we were excited to talk to you guys about relationships. Uh, my grandma was a nursing home administrator, and one of her favorite things to do was to get all the people in the nursing home together in one room and sing hymns and sing worship songs. And so she'd jump on the piano. She was a musician. She'd be playing the piano and singing these songs. And one day as she's playing at the piano, she looks out, and there's this lady, like, rummaging through her purse. And she's like, what's this lady doing? And she just kind of kept singing, you know. Next minute, the lady pulls out a remote and starts aiming it at my grandma. And my grandma's like, just stops all the singing. She's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm trying to change the channel. Like, she wasn't thrilled about what was happening. And don't you wish sometimes that in relationships, we had a remote, you know? Like, we could mute somebody, right? We could kind of fast forward. We could rewind. We could put them back in their place. We could come up with that perfect thing that we had to say in response to what they said. Rewind it. We could slow them a little bit. Because relationships are really, really difficult, aren't they? And so tonight, we want to talk about those relationships in our lives that maybe need to go from bad to good, unhealthy to healthy, ungodly to godly. And a bunch of you guys asked questions over the last several weeks, which we so appreciate. A bunch of you guys threw questions up there on the app for us. And i got to say a couple of things. First off, we are not going to be able to get to all of them for a couple of reasons. Number one, because we don't have enough time. We want you guys out of here before midnight. And number two, we just can't honestly answer all of the questions without a little bit more info. Uh, some of them are like specific to what you're going through, specific to maybe what a follow-up question might give us a little bit more information about. And so we would just say this. We hope that this will be the beginning of a conversation that's bigger than just tonight. And so if your question doesn't get answered, just know that that was because we really need to, to have a conversation with you specifically. And because they were anonymous questions, we can't like email you back or reply or anything like that. You'd have to come just seek us out. But we want to point you to hope and to help. And they were all great questions. It's not like one of them was like, oh, we can't answer that or we shouldn't answer that. It's just we need to dive a little deeper with you. So we encourage you guys, please, please, please reach out to us if that's where you're at. As we said last time, Kelly and I, we did not, uh, we were not perfect single people. We did not date perfectly. We are not a perfect married couple. And we, do, we are not perfect parents. And you're like, why would we listen to you then? Because tonight we really want to point you to biblical truth. We want to use some scripture. We also want to use biblical concepts. And along with that, we want you to learn from some of our mistakes. And we want you to learn from a few of our successes. And also, we've walked with a lot of people through life. And we've seen a lot of ups and downs in relationships. And so I think we're able to speak into what we've been able to help walk some people through and hopefully help find some encouragement for you guys. And I want to say this too. We have a mix of people here, but this is often a pretty young crowd at night. And I just want to say this. We're going to address singleness, dating, all that kind of stuff. But when we talk about stuff like marriage, parenting, that kind of stuff, just file it away, all right? File it away. And what we've tried to do is come up with just some terms that will kind of be sticky. They'll kind of stick in your memory. You'll be able to hang on to them. And I just, again, encourage you to file them away for when you are the spouse, for when you are the parent. And so we're going to work through all of that here tonight. So the first question is this. Are there Christian psychologists specialized in these areas that you would recommend? And yes, there's somebody that we recommend and we send people to all the time. His name is Lou Samaritino. Up on the screen you can see there, biblicalcounselor.com is the website where you can find him. And we just encourage you guys, if you need to talk to somebody, there is no shame in that. That is a good thing. That is a godly thing to be able to share some of the burdens you're going through, get a godly counsel on that. Of course, we're here to walk through life with you too. But if you're going through something super intense, we really encourage you to reach out to somebody like Lou. In fact, we really don't have to answer any of the questions. I'll just send everybody to Lou and, and he'll figure it out for you, right? All right. First question that I'm really going to hit here is, how to show a significant other the love and truth of Jesus without seeming pushy? So if you're here tonight and you're married, right, and you are saved, but the person that you are married to is not saved, how do you do, how do you, how do, you do that well? How do you reach them? Somebody else asked a similar question. What advice would you give a married couple who aren't in the same place in their relationship with God? One is close to the Lord and the other believes, but isn't really growing. And even today somebody wrote in, what do you do if you're married to somebody who says they believe in God, but they won't come to church? So, man, I'll tell you, I, I, I think that this is going to apply to many of you guys. And I do think that this is different. Like if you're in a dating relationship with somebody that doesn't know the Lord, that's a different scenario. We're going to talk about that a little later. But if it's a married thing, and I want to encourage you parents in the room, um, if you have kids that don't know Jesus or a lot of you young people in the room, maybe your parents haven't come to, come, come to know Jesus yet. One of the cool things we've seen happen in this church a lot is that kids get saved and then their families get saved. Coolest thing in the whole world. So what I'm about to say right now is aimed at married couples, one trying to reach the other. 
uh, parents trying to reach a kid or also kids trying to influence and impact their parents. It all applies. But here's what I would say. Let me start out with a true story. In the 1940s, there's a guy named Herbert, and he laid eyes on this lady named Adele, and he fell head over heels in love with her. He had to win her over, and as he got to know her, he realized that she was a follower of Jesus. And as he was you know, trying to figure out how to win her over, he realized that she was only going to follow, you know, date or and or marry somebody who was also a follower of Jesus. And so he wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he basically just lied and told her he was. And so all throughout the dating, into the engagement, and then eventually they get married and actually become Mr. and Mrs. Herbert Jansen. This were my grandparents' story. And so after the wedding, my grandfather turns to my grandmother and says, I lied to you. I am not a follower of Jesus. I'm a strong Jehovah's Witness. And basically, it really kind of rocked her world just because simply she just thought this entire time she was getting into a relationship with somebody who loved Jesus and also had been lied to over and over and over again. So what did my grandma do? What did my grandma do? I'll tell you. She did two things that I want to encourage you to do tonight. She prayed and she lived it. Okay? She prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. She prayed that my grandfather would come to know Jesus. She prayed that... Uh, her kids would come to know Jesus and follow Jesus even in this home. Guys, this was a hard home to live in. Like my dad grew up in a home with, where his dad, he remembers once in his life my, my grandfather tried to ever play with him, like throw a ball with him or anything like that. One time, and eventually my grandfather just gave up because he didn't even know how to throw the ball. And so this was a hard situation. There was a lot of conflict between my grandfather and my grandma, but my grandma just kept praying and praying, and she lived it. She was not a perfect person. She would have been the first to admit that, but she just wanted to live it. What do I mean by that? She wanted to show my grandfather that Jesus' joy is real, that Jesus' peace is real. She wanted to show my grandfather there's a satisfaction in following Jesus that's not found anywhere else, right? And so she would just live it to the best of her abilities in front of my grandfather. And she was a worshiper, like I said. She was the one with the remote in the beginning of the story there. She was a worshiper, so she would be singing the the, the praises of God throughout the house. She loved the Word of God. She was always quoting Scripture. She was just a prayer warrior. Um, My grandma prayed, man. She, She didn't mess around. She had an incredible joy. She had a laugh that could shake the house and a sneeze that could clear a restaurant. I'm not making that up. I don't know what that has to do with anything here tonight. I just thought you wanted to know that. But she lived it to the best of her ability. And eventually my grandfather put his trust in Jesus, as did all four of their kids. And so I would just say pray and live it. I want to encourage you guys, pray it out. My grandma, Adele, man, she was a prayer warrior. She's one of those people, like if you said, Grandma, I need you to pray, like you knew something great was going to happen. Like you know she was going to make a difference. She was going to make an impact. In fact, remember one time where my grandma... Um, was visiting, and I had long hair down on my shoulders, around 16 years old, and she pulled me aside. She says, Doug, I just really don't think this long hair honors God. I I think this is not something that God really wants you to have, and she had this big, long talk with me, and I knew she was kind of praying that I'd cut my hair, and then a a few years later, she came to me and said, Doug, I realized I was wrong. God looks at the heart, not the outward, you know, but I still think this is her fault, okay? I'm convinced she prayed this away, all right? But she prayed for my grandfather and eventually put his trust in Jesus. She prayed for my dad and his brothers who were knuckleheads, man. They gave her such a difficult time, yet I ended up bald. But, but she <laughs> cried out to Jesus to show up in these lives, and man, they did. And so I encourage you guys, if you're a kid praying for your parent, you're a parent praying for your kid, you're a spouse praying for your other spouse, man, just be praying, oh God, please show up, and don't give up, don't give up. Keep on asking God to show up, but also live it right? Live it. In the business world, maybe you've heard this before, they say, make a splash. What do I mean by that? Well, if you think that you want to rise from maybe low level in the company up the chain, you have two options. The first option is to walk into the CEO's office and say, hey, I deserve an office on this floor, right? In fact, I deserve your desk. Like, how's that going to go for you? Not well. Instead, what should you do? You make a splash in your division, right? You're running the mailroom. Man, you've never seen a mailroom run like this. You've never seen me. You've never seen whoever works for me, man, want to work for somebody like they're going to want to work for me. You've never seen a boss treat employees so well. Like you're going to make a splash in that department and you're going to get a call. The same is true in our lives. If you and I go home tonight and we look that person in the face and say, I'm so disappointed in you. What's wrong with you? Why don't you believe in God? This is so messed up. No, no, it's never going to work. But if you make a splash, if you show them, wow, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what he's done in my life. No, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to point you to the one who is. Watch how God may use those things. So I would just say very simply, to sum it all up, no matter where you find yourself tonight in that scenario, pray 
and live it. All right, hon, go for it. All right. Um, what advice would you give to a mom with little kids who feels exhausted and overwhelmed? Let me just say, file this stuff away. This yes. is gold here. This is gold. File this stuff away. Um, there are a lot of moms with little ones in this church. Our nursery is bursting with babies in this place. And I honestly love it. Like, I can't wait to get to church on a Sunday. Not, I mean, I want to hear your message. It's always awesome. Uh, but I can't wait. <laughs> I love these chairs. You know I have a dizzy problem. <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, but I can't wait to go play with the little ones um, after service. In fact, Steph Muller was making fun of me a couple of weeks ago. I was walking down the hallway with, like, a baby carriage and a diaper bag. She's like, whose baby do you have right now? I just love to get to play with the babies. But being a mom to little ones is exhausting. I mean, it is so incredibly rewarding, but it is also exhausting, and you have to take care of yourself. And so there's two words that I want to give you, uh, moms in the room and future moms in the room, and these are rest and refresh. First one, rest. Moms so often put themselves last. They're very selfless, but we do this almost to our own detriment. We do this almost to the point where we kind of harm ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You need rest. God designed your body to need rest. And I'm not just talking about laying down and getting some sleep, although you need that. I'm talking about a break where you just stop. Whether you are a working mom or a stay-at-home mom, you have to have times of rest. Times where you are out by yourself. You, you are taking a walk. You are going someplace alone. You are home by yourself for a couple hours. And all the moms with little ones in this place go, yeah, right. <laughs> that sounds good, but that is impossible. And dads, this is where you need to help. Because fathers, it is your responsibility to take care of your wife's needs. Her needs spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And, and one of the ways that you can do that is to give her a break, to give her a rest, to find consistent times of rest. Because honestly, a lot of times moms are not going to do that for themselves. They're not going to ask for it themselves. You need to take the initiative and say, you know what? You need to rest. And so either you're going to stay here and I'm going to take the kids for a few hours or you can go out and I will stay here with them. And dads, I'm not saying that you don't need a break as well. You do. And so sometimes, though, it's easier for a, a dad to kind of get off and, and get that break than it is for mom. So you've got to step up and, and take that initiative and care for your wife. And the truth is that it is not just good for her. It is good for you. It is good for your relationship together if she rests. Single moms in the room, I, you are my superheroes. You are uh, unbelievable. There is such a strength about single moms that I respect and I honor um, you seem to be able to do it all, to be mom, to be dad, to be working. But guess what? You also need a rest. You also need a break. So what does that mean? That means you find a trusted friend. You find a trusted family member, and you say, hey, can you take the kids for a little while, or, or could you allow me to go do this for a little while? You need a break. You know, I remember being a, a young mom and not wanting to leave my kids, not wanting to go away from them. I just wanted to be with them. And some of you moms, you don't take a break because you don't want to be away from them. But the truth is that it's not being a bad mom taking a break and getting away for a little while. It's actually being a really smart, wise mom, um, a mom that knows that in order to be the best mom that she could be, she needs a break. So the first encouragement to you is to find times to rest. Um, I think you know, another part of resting is not so much physical, but it has to do with not being so hard on yourself. You know, not, um, there, there's so much competition among moms. And, and all you need to do is go on social media or different blogs and you feel that competition. You feel that pressure to be this perfect super mom. And, and you don't need to be perfect. You know, uh, your house doesn't always have to be Perfect. I remember times when my kids were little, and I had mountains of laundry so large that I could have lost all three of them in those <laughs> mountains of laundry. And I remember beating myself up over that and, and just feeling like a, you know, a, a failure. And, and I kind of gotten over that because I still have really big piles of laundry. The only difference is now they're so big they can't get lost in it, so we're good. You know, We're okay. But your house doesn't always have to be perfect. You don't always have to have Instagram-worthy meals on the dinner table at night. You've got to give yourself a break. Some, take some of the pressure off yourself. You know, your kids are not going to be perfect. 
They're, they're going to have tantrums. You are raising little children who have a sin nature, and so that is going to come out from time to time. This doesn't mean that you are a bad mom. This doesn't mean that you have failed. Um, I remember a time when Landon was about three years old, and I took him to the park, and I, and I gave him the talk before we got out of the car, and I said, listen, Landon, I said, we have about a half hour. We have to go get your brother and sister from school, so when it's time to go, you need to listen right away. And he was like, okay, Mom. And he gave me his, like, little dimple he flashed me. Have you guys, his dimple is so stinking cute. I tell him that that dimple is a gift of God's grace to you <laughs> because it will get you out of trouble for all of your life because it's so cute. So we're there, and he's playing, and so I, I say, Landon, it's time to go. And he goes, okay, Mom, and he runs to the, no, he doesn't. He runs away from me, and he runs up to the top of the slide. Um, so I run up to the top of the slide, and he goes down the slide. And this happens several more times until at the top of the slide, he goes, na, 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 you can't get me. And at this point, I'm covered in sweat. All the moms are watching. I'm embarrassed. And honestly, that actually worked against him because it gave me that adrenaline rush to, like, get to the top of the slide before he was able to go down. And I grabbed him like a football under my arm, and I carried him off of the uh, park playground with him kicking and screaming. And I could have gotten in the car and said, you know what? I failed. I'm not a good mom. Every single mom in this room has a story that they could tell you about a time that their child threw a tantrum. Your kids are not going to be perfect. Your, your house is not going to be perfect. It's unrealistic and unhealthy to put so much pressure on yourself. So rest from that false expectation, that unrealistic expectation that you have to be this perfect mom. The next thing that I would encourage you is to refresh. This is so important. Refresh yourself in God's presence. You know, being a mom to little ones takes a lot of an emotional and physical energy. And you desperately need a strength that doesn't come from yourself. When my kids were, were really young, um, they would wake up around 6, 6.30. So my goal was to every day get up between 5 and 5.30 so that I can get downstairs and I could spend time in God's word. I mean, his word is life. His word brings refreshment. His word would ready me for the day. And, you know, there were times where I neglected to follow through with that. I, I would think to myself, you know, an extra half hour or hour of sleep is what's going to benefit me. And I was wrong. It was those times of getting up and being in God's presence that would just refresh me. And I tell you that there was a difference about me when I did that. Find time in your day to refresh yourself in God's presence. That is so vital. That is to moms, that is to dads, that is to everybody in the room. Refresh yourself in God's presence. So rest and refresh. And one last thing I want to say to exhausted moms of little ones, it's not always going to be this way. You know, I blinked, and I now have two teenagers and a preteen. It, it does go that fast. And I don't say that it goes really fast just so that you can endure. I say that it goes really fast so that you can cherish this time. Rest and refresh. All right. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about singleness. I wish I had time to do a whole message on this. Maybe we will one day. But I just want to say to those of you guys who are in the room, a similar thing that Kelly just said in the closing part of that last question, which is this is only for a time, right? This is a time period. And I know it's hard to hear. and You're going to be like, shut up, man. But here's what I want to encourage you guys to do, because I wish I had done this better. Like I said, I was not a perfect single person by any stretch. So I want to encourage you to do two things. I want to encourage you to enjoy and maximize this time. Enjoy and maximize this time, because it truly is a time in your life like no other. There are things you can do. There are opportunities you have now that you will not have when you are in a relationship and with kids and doing all that. And so I just encourage you guys, enjoy this time. Don't, you know, always be thinking, oh, I wish I was ahead. I wish I was ahead. Make sure you're maximizing this time by letting God use you in ways that, you know, you just won't have time to be used when you're in a different situation or season of life. Use this time to get closer to him. Use this time to work on things in your personal life. Like become the person that you want to be when that other person comes along, right? Like so often it's like, oh, well, I'll deal with the purity stuff and I'll get my finances in order and I'll deal with this and that when I finally find somebody. No, begin to do that now. Maximize this time. And if I can say this too, don't get caught in the comparison trap. 
right? We just had Valentine's Day, and it was probably really hard to not be scrolling through Instagram and seeing all the great stuff everybody else is doing. Oh, sweet, man, they're at that restaurant. Dude had a saxophone player come over to the table, and there's a dolphin in the background doing something, and like, holy cow, how did, right? And so it's so easy to get caught up in that comparison trap. I want to encourage you guys, man, enjoy this season where you are and refuse to let that work. Refuse to let that comparison trap bait you. Um, I've been married for a long time, so I really haven't struggled with that type of comparison trap, but I, I, I know we all in the room, we get stuck in these comparison traps sometimes, don't we? I was out to lunch with a few pastors uh, from Long Island over this past week, and some of them have way bigger churches than, than we do, and they're doing really cool stuff, and you know, you start to hear this stuff, and you begin to compare, you know, and they're like, oh, we just got back from Africa, we saved 800 babies from alligators out there, and we have an alligator-saving ministry team, and we have a helicopter that comes down over the water and snatches the babies just up, I don't know why the water babies in the water, I don't know, but they snatched them out, and now you're like, cool, all right, sign up on that for the alligator team, guys, we're going to go get them all, right, because there's something in you that goes, oh, man, we should be doing that, and why can't we, and why don't we, but here's the deal, guys, this is what was so beautiful about my lunch this week, was that none of that happened, like, none of that happened, we sat, we celebrated, we talked about what God's doing, we talked about the plans that God has, the dreams we have, the people that are walking through the door, the cool initiatives that we're all having, and we just felt like brothers there in the room, enjoying and maximizing the season that we're in, what freedom, right, So I just want to encourage you guys. Again, I could go on and on about this, and this is something maybe we could talk about if you're wrestling through this single season, but enjoy and maximize this time, and don't get caught in the comparison trap. Okay, next question. Do you think a couple could overcome cheating? If yes, how so? And without a doubt, the answer to that is yes. I mean, God is able to not just keep together and keep a couple from divorcing who went through the pain of infidelity, infidelity, but he is able to heal and restore that marriage to a better place than it ever was. And, and that truth applies to marriages that have been damaged by emotional affairs, not just physical affairs, that have been damaged by things like pornography addictions. And, and I don't just say that in, in theory, you know, I saying I know God can do that. No, we have seen him do it in our Almost 20 years of ministry together, over and over, we have seen God restore marriages to make them stronger and healthier than they ever were. To take marriages that seem to have no hope to be just at the bottom and build them back up on a strong foundation and and have them just have a marriage that they didn't have before all of that happened. And so the, the answer to your first question is yes, without a doubt. But to answer the second question is how? How so? And I already said that God does it, but there is things that as a couple you must do together to walk towards restoration and healing. First to the spouse that was unfaithful. There must be genuine brokenness and repentance over your sin. And, you know, you cannot expect to heal. You cannot expect God to restore you if if there is not brokenness, if there's still a a cherishing and a holding on to that sin. You know, and it's not just about being broken over the way that you hurt your spouse, but broken over the sin itself before a holy God. If you don't have that kind of brokenness over your sin, ask God for it. Ask him to do that in you, to give you a kind of brokenness and repentance that will lead towards healing. If you are the spouse that was the one who was cheated on, and you don't see that kind of genuine repentance in your spouse, pray for it. Ask God to do it, to bring them to um, that place, uh, to the spouse that was cheated on. The pain that you feel is so deep, and there is not enough that the person who hurt you can do to take away that pain. There's not enough flowers, there's not enough gifts, there's not enough compliments for them to take that pain away. Only God can heal that kind of pain. So bring that pain to him. Heal all, bring all those hurts to him and ask him to heal you. He will. Sometimes it takes time. And sometimes you have to revisit it again when it comes up, when there's a reminder or something, you know, that happens that kind of brings that pain up again. Again and again, bring it to him and he will bring healing to your heart. But the most important thing that you can hear me say to the one that was cheated on, is that you can't forgive in your own strength. 
Even if you love your spouse and, and you want to be able to forgive them, doing it in yourself will fail every time. You need to be strengthened by God to do that. The Holy Spirit that is in you has to give you the ability to truly forgive that spouse. As a couple, I think it's really important to get counseling. You know, uh, I, I really believe that marriages, before they get to infidelity, are already broken. And so you need godly counsel on how you can build on a strong foundation and get to a healthier place. And I also want to say this to the one who was unfaithful to their spouse, be patient with the spouse that you have hurt. You know, I think that sometimes you, you want them to just be okay and, and to get over it. And, and maybe you think if they're still hurting, that means that they haven't genuinely forgiven you. And that's not true because you can forgive someone and yet still be hurting. You know, you, your spouse could have truly forgiven you, but still be on that process to healing. But there are things that you could do while your spouse is healing. Uh, one of the things that you can do is earn back their trust. You know, be willing to give them your phone, have all your passwords. I mean, Doug and I, I think every marriage should do this. Have each other's passwords, have access to each other's phone and, and email, and there be zero secrets. You know, be willing to let your spouse know where you are at any time of the day and not become defensive about it. You I mean, like I said, you can't heal their hurt. You can't take away their pain, but you can encourage them and you can love them and you can build them up. And the greatest thing that you could do is pray that God would heal the hurt that you caused. I mean, isn't that amazing that that is the kind of God that we have, that he takes even our own sin and he responds in prayer to bring healing and wholeness where we have blown it. The marriage that goes through the pain of infidelity has the potential to put the gospel on display by the way that they love and forgive each other like Christ has loved and forgiven us. I mean, we didn't deserve mercy. You and I, we didn't deserve forgiveness. We didn't deserve to be loved, and yet it's been poured out on us. Micah 7 says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That is what has been done for us. And by God's grace and by his strength, that is what a wounded spouse is able to do to the spouse who has hurt them. One last thing that I want to say, and again, this is a, maybe a filing away for some of you single people who aren't yet married, or for those of you who are married and, and you haven't gone through that, that pain of infidelity, don't take lightly being unfaithful. Don't take lightly destroying your marriage with emotional affairs or pornography because you hear me say that God can restore a marriage. It's not worth it. Yes, God can restore, but the road to restoration is also long and it is painful and all of those things are not worth it. They will not lead you to where you want to go. They will not satisfy your heart. They will not make you happy. They will cause, no doubt, pain for yourself, for your spouse, and when there's children involved for them as well. So it is not worth it. Yes, God can restore, but even better is not going down that road in the first place. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, we have some questions about purity. So repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to make it through the next five minutes of my life. All right, good job. Awesome. Um, here's the deal. I don't ever want us to be the kind of church where a bunch of people grow up and say, oh man, sex is this horrible thing, right? Like, sex is this bad word. Sex is this thing that God hates, right? Like, no, sex is an amazing thing that God created, right? Sex was designed to be a blessing, of course, to continue to bring about life. And, but it is this beautiful thing that God has given us. And the problem is when it is misused, right? And I've said this many, many times throughout the years, that sex is a God-given gift that when misused destroys pretty much everything, right? That's what we've seen over and over again. I know they say that all the time. You guys are like, we're going to put that on your gravestone when you die. I just want to say that's a really weird thing to put on somebody's gravestone, okay? So don't do that. But there was this guy in the Bible named Joseph. And here is why I want to talk about Joseph and then Paul for a minute. Because 
we could like throw a bunch of information at you. We could try to like scare you, I guess you could say, in the next few minutes with this, this thought and that idea. And we could make you feel guilty and bad about sexual sin and that kind of stuff. Instead, what I want to do is rewire our brains to think about purity in a different way, right? And I want us to see the power that is within you and I as followers of Jesus to overcome the struggles that we often face when it comes to impurity. So there's this guy named Joseph in the Bible, and he has the perfect opportunity to do the wrong thing, right? The perfect opportunity. He's got this rich, beautiful woman chasing after him, and she's doing it in the dark. She's doing it in the quiet, and she's trying to have her way with Joseph, and Joseph is just not having any of it, but yet here is this temptation. Here is this tension he's walking through. And I don't know what was going through his mind, but what he did, instead of running toward impurity, is he ran away from it, like literally ran out of the room away from it. Like just took off, physically left the place that he had been in. And when he ran away from this perfect opportunity to do the wrong thing, he ran toward purity. And I guess the question is, what do we do when the perfect opportunity opens itself up for us to do the wrong thing. See, it's this mind shift we need in, in, our, in our heads here. We have to talk about this new way of thinking about purity. I want you to think about it this way. Either we run, we run toward purity or impurity. Like, it's that simple. In every single scenario of our life and our day, we are either running toward purity or impurity. So, again, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or scared. I want you instead to say, wow, okay, I have an opportunity and it really an invitation to run toward purity and towards God's blessings and towards the beautiful thing that sex is when it's used in the right way instead of using it in the wrong way. And so... Think about it. The image appears on the screen. The question is, will I run toward purity or will I run toward impurity, right? Will will we X that thing out? Will we get up? Will we turn the computer off? Will we throw it out the window? Will we do what we've got to do to run from the impurity? You go to pick up your girlfriend for a date, and you're trying to be like a gentleman. So you walk to the front door. You're going to say hello to Mr. and Mrs. You're going to do the whole boyfriend thing really, really well. But when you walk in, you realize the Mr. and Mrs. aren't there. And you realize the siblings are out. And you realize the dog is at a dog's friend's house. And you're like, wow, this is a perfect opportunity to do the wrong thing. And then my man Bobby over there, he works at PSEG. He like trips and his coffee spills into the entire network of lighting on Long Island. And the whole grid goes down and it's pitch black. You're thinking to yourself, this is a perfect opportunity to do the wrong thing, right? In that moment, do you run toward purity or toward impurity? The new person at your job is such a flirt. And you walk in, man, and and they're just like flirty and they're coming up with all these silly scenarios and these silly conversations and these silly jokes. And and there's something in you that likes the attention, but you're thinking, ah, I don't know what to do here. I mean, I'm not like doing anything. I would never do anything, right? Which, by the way, just so we all know, everybody who does do something eventually said at some point, I would never do anything. So know that. But again, what am I going to do here? Am I going to run toward purity or am I going to run toward impurity? You walk your date to the front door after the date and you've been a perfect gentleman and you go in for a, a kiss and the kiss turns into a longer kiss and then an embrace and then hands kind of start to roam. Guys, we're, we're running toward impurity here, but it's not sex. Well, I know it's not sex, but what we are doing is mentally at least going way further than we should. And if we're doing more than a, a quick kiss and a, a quick hug goodbye, I think we're doing physically more than we should. And so now we are messing with falling off the edge, and we're just teetering right here. And so if you trip, you will fall over the edge, whereas if you set yourself back here behind the swivelly chair, you, even if you trip right now, I like physically could not fall off this stage, right? And so just saying, no, I'm going to run toward purity. I'm going to have my mind really think about this in a completely different way. We had a question come in. Somebody said, is it wise to go on vacation with a boyfriend or girlfriend, stay together in the same room, even if it's economically cheaper? Heck no. Right? Like you are running toward impurity. You are sprinting toward, you got a rocket on your back toward impurity, right? We got to be so careful. You got to, I don't even encourage you to go on vacation with your boyfriend and girlfriend and get two separate hotels room, two separate hotels. Like, like bring the family, bring the dog, bring the dog's friend, like, like bring everybody, right? I mean, be so incredibly careful because like Joseph, we've got to, 
run away from impurity and toward purity. So that's really the thing. Again, this isn't about guilt or feeling bad. Sex is a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing that God has given us. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, man, we have such an opportunity to say, okay, here's my choice. Like, I am only going one way or the other, right? And that's, that's where I think we get tripped up, is when we believe that we can be walking toward impurity and somehow still be pure, right? We're either running toward purity or running toward impurity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. And Paul was an expert in everything Old Testament. And so I think he maybe had Joseph in mind when he wrote this verse. Flee from it. Run from sexual immorality. Run from the perfect opportunity to do the wrong thing toward purity. And then he says this, and this is important. Again, I'm not trying to scare us, but we got to talk about what's truth, right? All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul says sexual sin is unique, right? The consequences are unique. The impact on your emotions are unique. The influence on your soul are unique. The addictive nature are unique. And it's not just about what we touch It's also about what we look at. And I think that porn is one of the great struggles of our day, right? We've got so many devices with all this information that can so easily be accessed. I mean, when I was a kid, it's going to sound real old, but if if we wanted to go find something shady to look at, we had to go find some store that had a little room in the back that we could go find it. Man, I I like that was that was hard to go and do like it's on every device in this room if we want it. Right. So we've got to be so careful and so guarded because this stuff's out to kill us. A great way to destroy your marriage or your future marriage is to look at porn or even to watch movies and TV with just nudity. You know, we've got to be so incredibly careful. Uh, secular scientists are confirming this stuff. Like I didn't go to how to preach a Christian message about porn.com for the information I'm about to give you. This was on a secular site. Here's what they say, that porn creates sexual dysfunction, which means... You can't perform with a real person because your brain is so wired to this stuff on the screen. There's a really famous musician. I won't say who it was because I don't want to call somebody out and I don't want to get sued. But um, there was a really famous musician who said that they were so addicted to porn, they preferred it to a real person. And this person had dated six or seven of what the the people in, in, in our culture would say were probably the most beautiful women that have ever lived in our day. He said, I prefer the screen, right? Because there's this thing that goes on. They talk about, scientists talk about how marital quality and commitment are compromised. Scientists talk about, listen, how our brains physiologically are rewired. Which means this, if the porn you start watching is at this level, your brain eventually gets used to it and isn't really stimulated by it anymore. And so the pornographers are constantly having conversations. How can we up the game? How can we do something a little more perverse? How can we push the edge a little bit further? Because people are going to stop buying it and watching it if we just stay here. we got to get a little bit more crazy with it. And that's because of the physiological rewiring of our brain. Our brain produces a certain chemical that God designed as a blessing and a gift to us in our brain to be released when we are with our spouse within marriage. But when that same chemical is released when looking at porn, it leads to anxiety and depression. Just think about it, right? Again, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to just show you that sin leads to death, but there is a better way. There is a road that leads to life, right? And so for you and I to think, Okay, how can I run toward purity, right? With the image on the screen, with the thing on my phone, with the person walking by, with the, right? I just have to say, all right, I got one way or the other. I, I, I can't go both directions, right? You jump on the LIE, you're either going west or east, right? You're, you're not going west while thinking you're still going east. You're like, I mean, I guess probably someone who's an idiot has done that in time here. But, but you are going, okay, I can't go both directions at once. It's one way or the other. Porn consumers report greater depressive symptoms, lower quality of life, poorer mental health. Researchers are saying this. This blows my mind. Compulsive porn consumers find themselves wanting and needing more porn. You ready for this? Even though they don't necessarily like it. Why? Because physiologically, our brain is saying, I want this. I want this. I want this. When our soul is saying, I don't want this. Right? Like, there's a bunch of people here in this room tonight, I would guess, that would say, man, if I never visited a site again in my lifetime, what a win that would be. 
And yet, there's something broken on the inside of us going, no, you need this, right? But here is the answer. Look at this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Ready? Three words, uh, four words that will change your life. Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. Guys, God is in you. Now, this could be bad news to some of you if you look at it a certain way. The way it could be bad news is that thing that you think you're doing in the concealed room that no one else knows about, God's in you. God knows about that, right? God sees what you are doing. But here's the hope, guys, right? God is in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is saying, let's destroy this porn thing in your life. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is saying, let's destroy this flirting thing with the lady at the front desk. Let's, let's destroy this whole scenario where you're running toward impurity when her parents go out, right? Like the same spirit that raised the very body of Jesus in the grave is saying, let's go. We can overcome this. Incredible, incredible news. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you came on an interesting day to church today. Thank you for being with us. But here's the deal. You are so loved, Jesus got on a cross. Like, that's the price that Paul's talking about here. You're so loved that Jesus said, put me up there, nail me to the cross, beat the garbage out of me. I want to be recognizable as a human being. That's my love. I will rescue these people from their guilt and their shame. And then I'll put my spirit in them, and we will go to town on the sin. That's owning them. Then he says this, therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. Okay, so how far is too far? Well, this isn't scripture, but here's what I would say is probably what would work for most of us in the room that are dating is a quick kiss and a a little hug night, right? That's probably about right. And anything more than that, I think we're walking past the swivelly chair toward the edge, right? We're going to end up falling. Or we're going to end up doing a lot more. I mean, think about it this way. What would you want your future spouse doing with somebody else, right? Like, that's probably a good guardrail for what you should be doing here and now. But I love what Paul says, really. Run toward purity because you were bought with a price. Next question. How can you honor your father and mother without necessarily having a relationship um, with them? You know, I don't know the details, but I can gather Um, from your question that either they have alienated themselves from you or you, for a reason, have distanced yourself from them. And sometimes that is necessary and that is healthy when there is um, a really unhealthy relationship, when there's a lot of dysfunction and pain involved. And let me just say that whoever wrote this question, I really respect your heart to still honor your parents like God has commanded us to, despite whatever led to that distance. And I have two encouragements for you. And the first one is that you can honor your parents by praying for them. I don't know if they know Christ, but pray for their heart. Whatever dysfunction is there, whatever mistreatment of you that has led to the distance, these are just symptoms of a heart that is lost, of a heart that desperately needs Jesus. So pray first for their salvation. If you would say, you know what, my My parents say that they do know Christ, and yet they still have all this dysfunction, and they still are treating me in this way that has caused me to distance myself. Well, Doug just said that the Holy Spirit is in us, and if they truly know Christ, and the Holy Spirit is in them, and so he's in us to strengthen us, and he's also in us to bring conviction where there needs to be conviction. And so pray that God would do a deep work in their heart and life. So the first way you can honor your parents is to pray for them. And the second way that you can honor them is to keep your heart open to reconciliation. You know, I know, I'm sure you've heard people say, people don't change. And that's probably true, apart from God. Let's never underestimate what God can do. God can take the worst of the worst, the most selfish, the most prideful, the most angry, arrogant person, and completely turn their life around. He could take the emotionally and mentally unhealthy and transform them. You can't fix them. You can't change them, but Jesus can. We see throughout the word of God, God doing this. We see throughout the gospels, Jesus encountering people who were broken and sinful and hard and in a moment of being touched by him, being completely 
transformed. You know, my mom grew up with an alcoholic father, an alcoholic father who really wounded her a lot throughout her life. As a child, he would disappear for months at a time, just walk out of her life, not call, not check on her, not make sure she was okay. The person who was supposed to be her protector in life would just abandon her. Um, as, they, as she got older, their relationship was strained and it was sporadic and he would kind of come in and out of her life you know, in times that was convenient to him. They went through a period of two years where they did not speak at all. And it was in that time that my mom began to pray for her dad began to pray for the one who hurt her so deeply, began to pray for the one who wounded her and destroyed her childhood, because this is what she knew, that she had come to Christ, and that Christ had done an incredible work in her life and her husband's life. And how could she then not start to pray for her father? She started to realize that her father was wounded, and her father was broken, and this is why he was the way that he was, and he needed Jesus. And in that two years of not speaking, something incredible happened. Her father came to know Christ. And because of that, their relationship was healed. Because of that, they had a relationship that they had never had before. Now, could you just imagine with me if, if my grandfather had come to Christ and come knocking on her door and said, Kathy, I've changed. God has grabbed hold of my life. I'm a different person. And she said, no. You know, just held him at arm's length. You've hurt me too much. I'm, I'm glad that you're getting your life together, but you, you can't be a part of my life. No, she couldn't do that. She couldn't do that because of the grace that she herself had experienced, and she let him back into her life. And I have such precious memories of my grandfather in those years that he had come to Christ. He was a different person. He went from such an angry, hard person to such a soft, joyful person. That's only what God can do. And so keep your heart open to reconciliation. And just to encourage you that God may be doing something even when it seems like your efforts towards reconciliation are wasted. You see, in some of the years that my mom and my grandfather were estranged, she wrote him letters, pouring out her heart to him, telling him about Jesus. And you know what? She never got a response. She never got a letter back. She never got a phone call saying, thank you for that letter. It really touched my heart. Just nothing. She thought that they had no meaning to him. After my grandfather had passed away, my mother was cleaning out his home, and she found a strong box. And when she opened up the strong box, in it were those letters. He kept every single one of them. You see, she thought that there was no response, but I really believe that God was working to soften his heart through those letters. So even if you feel like nothing is happening, keep praying and keep your heart open to reconciliation. And just as I end, I would just want to give the same encouragement when the situation is opposite, when it's the parents who are kind of waiting and fighting and praying for your children and for reconciliation with your relationship. You know, don't stop. Don't, don't give up waiting and praying. You know, in my own life, there's different things that as I've been praying for, I've been tempted to just give up, you know, and say, you know, I've been praying for so long and it seems like nothing is ever going to change and, and you're not going to respond. But we see in the word of God that, that God has caused his people sometimes to wait, to wait on him and not give up. And, and every time I'm tempted to just give up on a situation and give up praying, I remind myself of this verse in Isaiah 64, 4 that says, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. We have a God who acts for those who wait for him. So keep waiting, keep praying, and keep your heart open to reconciliation. Right. The question, what does a godly relationship look like? Well, in the scriptures, um, Paul says that we should be equally yoked. And what he's talking about is, if you can imagine two animals side by side, and they have this contraption around their necks that keeps them together. And the point of this contraption is it would keep them going in the same direction, and it would accomplish, allow them to accomplish more together than they could apart. Now, I tried to buy a yoke on Amazon, but they don't sell them. So I actually made one here. I um, duct taped a couple of toilet seats together. And so um, they're just slightly used. And uh, so 
This is sort of the image that uh, Paul was maybe trying to get us to think about. Let me get this off my beautiful wife here. And so the point of the yoke was for these animals to be able to say, okay, we can accomplish so much more together as we're headed in the right direction. And what Paul knew is that the farmers of the day would never yoke like a cattle with a donkey, right? Because a cattle can carry a certain weight and a donkey can carry a different weight. And the abilities and the ability to work on a certain uh, performance was different per animal. And so he talks about this idea of different sizes, different strengths, different abilities. In the same way, he says, let's not yoke together with someone with different strengths and sizes and abilities, so to speak, spiritually. And the beautiful thing about the yoke was, of course, that you can go together and do things in the same direction that you couldn't do apart. So the animals would be able to lift weights they couldn't have lifted apart. The animals were able to plow uh, through a spot they couldn't have plowed apart. But the importance is, of course, going in the same direction. And so if you're in a dating relationship or you're single, I mean, I can't say it loud and clear enough that, you know, you and I, are called to find somebody else that's also headed toward Jesus. I think that's what a relationship that is godly looks like. It's both of you walking toward Jesus together. And so it's just Kelly saying, hey, I'm going to make sure that I'm centering my life around Jesus. And it's me saying, I'm going to center my life around Jesus. And then we're going to walk toward Jesus together. And we're going to make sure that we're headed in the same direction. And so it's not like the non-Christian is worth more than the Christian, or the Christian is worth more than the non-Christian. It's not a value question. It's a direction question. You know, with that yoke on, Kelly and I could only go one way or the other. And so I just want to encourage you guys to be in a kind of relationship where you're able to push someone toward Jesus, and they're able to push you toward Jesus as well. And so if you're in a marriage, we've already talked about, man, just love them well, pray pray for them, and uh, make a splash. Let's see God do something great. How can I get my son or daughter to open up to me? I feel like when they are struggling, they, they do not come to me for help. And I think that one of the greatest things that we can do for our children is to make sure they know that we as parents are not perfect, that we struggle, that we have had times in our life where we have failed and we have blown it, and we need grace, and we need a Savior just as much as they do. One of the things that I love about Doug as a pastor and I think is really rare is that he never gets up here and pretends that he is perfect and pretends that he has it all together. He is real and he is genuine with the way that he struggled or the way that he has failed. And I think that that makes him relatable and approachable. And I think that you and I need to do the same thing as, as parents with our kids. You know, we do our children a disservice when we aren't open with them about our struggles and and, and our failures. And maybe we do this because we're afraid that then they're going to repeat the kind of mistakes that we have in our life, that we've done in our life. And I don't think that 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 is what happens. Um, Our honesty with them makes them more willing to come to us. You know, if we give our children the perspective or the impression that we are perfect and that we don't struggle then our kids are not going to come to us because they're always going to be afraid of letting us down and, and, and failing us. And so if they have us on a pedestal and, and if they think that we're perfect, why would they come to us? But if we are real with them and we are genuine, I think that that makes us more open and more approachable to come to us. And I'm not saying, you know, sit your two-year-old down and tell them all the ways that you have failed in life. <laughs> I mean, it has to be age appropriate, and I think that it's something that kind of happens and grows according to situations I had with one of my children recently. I could see that they were going through a situation that I went through something similar at their age, and so I said, hey, come here. I said, I went through something very similar, and this is how I blew it. This is how I failed, and I just was open and told them the way that I messed up, and and they went, and they did the exact opposite of what I had done. And, you know, our kids, we want them to know. We struggle. We have failed. But we have a God who pours out mercy and grace on us so that when they fail and when they're struggling, that they know that they can come to us and find that same grace and help. And just one last encouragement. If your kid is really struggling, if you feel like they are running from God, don't lose hope. You know, keep standing in faith. Keep praying for them. Remember the verse that I just mentioned a few minutes ago that who is a God like ours 
who works for those who wait on him. So keep waiting on him. I mean, God loves to call home the prodigal. He does it again and again. And, and the good news is, is that there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in us as parents and more grace than there is sin in our children. So if you want your kids to come to you, just be real and genuine with them. You know, don't put on a facade. Let them know, listen, I struggle too. I need Jesus just as much. I need his grace and mercy just as much as you do. All right, sweet. We're going to end with this question and then a quick review and stand together and worship a little bit. But tips to rekindle your marriage is the topic here. And again, if you are Somebody who's not married yet, I want you to file this away and just keep this in mind. But I'd say a couple things. I'd say spend quality time together. Um, a lot of you guys are dating, man. You guys are going on adventures. You guys are going and doing fun stuff. And then when you get married and the kids come along, it becomes very easy to just be getting dragged to, you know, this, this environment, that environment, this environment, that environment. I got work stuff. She's got work stuff and all that. And you just lose some of that, you know, fun and some of that adventure. And so I just say spend some quality time together. Um, you don't have to, like, go to Hawaii if you don't have the money. I mean, one of the great reasons that we believe in youth group here at Living Word is not only because it's awesome and amazing, but also we get, like, free babysitting once in a while. And so um, over the December break when our kids all went away, we went on a luxurious trip. It was amazing. We went to this place. It was really far away. It's called Long Island. And um, it was really great, though. It honestly was. We just had fun. We had adventures. We laughed together. We just enjoyed. And it was a beautiful thing. So I would say absolutely spend quality time together. Also, yes, we can talk about this in church, read the Song of Solomons, but enjoy intimacy together. And I think that that's so important. And I just want to say, if you are here, you're a married couple, and that part of the relationship is struggling, please, please, please let us help you through it, or let us send you to Lou, let him help you through it. This is a beautiful thing. Again, a gift that God has given us, and it's so important that we don't just decide, oh, well, I guess this is just the way it is, and it's always going to be a struggle. I would say enjoy that intimacy together. And I want to say this, that in that, like, you know, the scriptures call us to put one another before ourselves. And in that, too, I would say, man, it's so important to put your spouse in front of yourself in that way. It's so important to put them before your own needs. And you guys can put this on my gravestone, too, if you want. But I'm going to say it this way. A selfish lover ain't going to get much love. Like, that's the bottom line. Like, God's called us to be selfless in this way, too. And to really bless our spouse. The last thing I would say is this. Pray together. Pray together. Pray together. Pray together. Pray together. You know, it drives me nuts sometimes when couples that know Jesus aren't praying together. Like, why aren't we grabbing each other's hands? Like, you know, and just seeking God together and crying out to him to show up. Like, I just want to encourage you guys. It might be 30 seconds. It might be an hour. It might be 30 minutes or five seconds. But just before bed, before you go off to work, man, please just grab your spouse's hands pray together. That's going to do so incredibly much. And a few weeks ago, I was talking and I said something. And I lost a lot of sleep. Uh, sometimes that happens on Sunday nights. I don't get always a great sleep on Sunday nights because I'm like, I don't know if I should have said this or that. It's probably going to happen all night tonight for me. But um, I said this statement and, and I checked with a few people and they said, no, nah, man, we think you should have said it. And I, so I'm going to say it again today. And it's this, if you aren't praying every day with your spouse, I don't have much hope for your relationship. Because it makes such a great difference. It, it, Kelly and I are different people when we are connected on that level. Kelly and I interact differently. We, we, we talk differently to one another. We have different um, attitudes within our time when we are praying together, even if it's just a minute. And sometimes it's 15 or even 20. But even if it's just a minute or 30 seconds of that time together, it makes such a great impact. So I would say spend quality time, enjoy intimacy, and pray together. All right, we want to just hit you with a quick review of some of those sticky thoughts. So first off, psychologist that loves Jesus is Lou Samaritino, a biblicalcounselor.com. Um, how do you show love to a spouse or a parent or somebody that you love that you really want to help draw them closer to him? I would say pray, live it, uh, make a splash. Um, overwhelmed moms, Kelly says, rest and refresh. Single people in the room, enjoy and maximize it. Don't get caught in the comparison trap. Cheating. If you're stuck in a situation like that, Kelly says, hey, don't just survive but thrive. God can do that. And for the one that cheated, be repentant and patient. For the one that was cheated on, look to God for healing and strength to forgive. Purity. We either run toward purity or impurity. I encourage you guys. You were bought with a price. Run toward purity. Uh, if it's a situation with your mother and father that's difficult, pray for them. Keep your heart open to reconcile. In a godly relationship, it looks like walking toward Jesus together. If you need your child to open up to you, make sure that you are approachable by re being real about your own struggle and you're looking to rekindle your marriage. Enjoy quality time and intimacy together and pray 
together. Again, if you guys didn't get your question answered, please reach out to us on a personal note. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, man, thank you so much for being here tonight. And we hope you've heard a ton about grace and mercy and life and the peace and the satisfaction that Jesus offers and purchased for you on the cross. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this time to just talk about relationships. And we thank you so much, God, for what you're wanting to do in our lives. We thank you so much, God, that you have given us gifts of relationships, of sex, of purity, of intimacy, of uh, parents and children and friends and dating and singleness. And all these things are here for a reason and a season. And I thank you, God, for these gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you just pray about maybe one of the things that stuck out to you tonight? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, you could just pray with me now. You could just say something like this quietly. Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you so much for being willing to sacrifice your life that I would know you. Jesus, thank you so much that you want to forgive me and then now place the Holy Spirit in my life that is going to help me overcome the struggles that I walk through. And so I thank you for this amazing gift, Jesus. And God, now I just ask tonight that you'll help me know what it looks like to follow you as my Lord and my Savior.